Well, hello there, and thank you for tapping into this episode of Bandwidth Coast to Coast. You know, with so much happening in the world, more niches, more rabbit holes, more outrage, it's easy to miss major things that are happening, which is kind of a strange truth. Major changes can completely fly right below the radar, right out in the open without getting due attention. The truth of that paradox gets all the more apparent in our time if understanding the change requires nuance, high orders of technical understanding, and an imagination to see through the grifters to clearly make out what's possible, or even likely. So-called Web3 is one of those things. I'm sure those listening have heard of cryptocurrencies, one of the many outcroppings from a white paper which was published under a pseudonym on October 31st, 2008. As my guest gets into on the interview, this white paper and the technology it describes, namely blockchain, was a response to the financial crisis and the gamesmanship that central banks play with printing money, which inevitably can devalue the currency, while inflating other parts of the market. But what I'd like to posit to you, dear listener, is that blockchain, whether from a cryptocurrency, a smart contract, a decentralized autonomous organization, non-fungible token, Web3, or some other permutation I've yet to hear about, is going to be an unknown cornerstone of our lives in the next 10 years. Whether you understand how it works or not, there's currently a race to develop a swath of new applications, quote, on-chain. Let me give you an example that unless you're one of the developer listeners, you likely have never heard of. They're called Application Programming Interfaces, or better just abbreviated as APIs. Without these, your smartphone would be nothing more than a slim Garmin with a great camera. And what they are put plainly, is a set of protocols that allow an exchange of data between two different systems, like the systems of your phone with the server. I'm going to run you through this. You open up Twitter on your phone, for instance, and while it's loading, your phone is hitting an API, and it's providing your login information to Twitter. And in exchange, it's receiving back data packets with your timeline. The same thing happens when you ask your Alexa a question, receive an email, or how literally do anything on the internet. That is a cornerstone of the web and your daily lives, in which if you were alive, a revolution happened you had no idea about. The difference with blockchain, crypto, Web3, etc. is probably more revolutionary, more secure, inherently more trustworthy, and has the same silent ability to impact your whole life. Except this time, it's taking aim at your bank, managing your investment portfolio, creating nonprofits that run themselves through a decentralized community, or be your proof of purchase to enter a music festival. Really, there's a lot that could potentially change. And I don't intend to be hyperbolic, but this really has an opportunity to significantly impact how technology is built, to which is how our current economy and society is run. My guest for this episode is Dr. Marav Ozer, a fintech professor at Rutgers Business School. She's published many great articles in the field, 
everything about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, the financial regulation of it, it kind of runs the whole gamut of what's possible, what's likely, and even laments a bit on what's happened with cryptocurrencies, of which we get into a little bit, where they seem to be looked at more as speculative assets, far away from what that white paper I mentioned envisioned for the future with them. For what I hope becomes a reoccurring guest on a truly massive subject, in this episode, we scratch the surface on what is blockchain, Bitcoin versus crypto, and the promise that tech can bring. With a whole lot of healthy debate in between, this one is fast and it's dense. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Real quick before the episode begins, if you like what you hear, please tap that follow or subscribe button. You also can find this episode, all episodes in the series, or check out our daily minute podcast by visiting us at bandwidth.productions. Ah, that lovely robot. Um, thank you again. Good evening. And Good would evening. you mind just introducing yourself right quick? Okay, my name is uh, Marav Uzair. Uh, my affiliation is Dr. Marav Uzair, a leading blockchain expert and a fintech professor at Rutgers Business School. So that's my affiliation. And a little bit about my background, I think, if, if I may, uh, is a little bit uh, maybe unconventional. Uh, I started uh, as a teenager in uh, tech. I mean, I went to a STEM school. Um, made a lot of, you know, engineering and computer science and physics and all of the science. And then when I went to college, I got introduced to everything that has to do with economics and data science. I was very fascinated with how the economy works and what drives the economy. So um, I've always been like a very curious child. I mean, ask my mom, she's... <laughs> <laughs> she will tell you that but uh so uh so i was was trying to figure out how can i put you know my interest in how the economy works and how society works and you know all of this because basically economics is social science that's what people miss there's a lot of social science there because people just think about the financial markets but it's part of but economics is it started with a philosophy in any event, so I was trying to know, was to figure out how can I take my two passions of economics, finance, and tech. So when I went for my PhD um, uh, at Stern Business School um, in finance, so it, it, it made sense to me to become a quant. What is a quant? It's basically data science for finance. That's how I would like to describe it. And it made sense because, you know, I can do some algorithm, I can code, I can, you know, put my technical skills into some financial problems and economic problems. So I've done that. I've done some research. I've, I've worked with the hedge funds and, uh, you know, with some algorithm, investing, trading. And when I did my research on FX, which is um, foreign currency, I stumbled on fruit. Um, and, you know, back... You know, when I started that was like six, seven years ago, uh, when I stumbled on crypto, um, 
I mean, I think today is a bit more structured the market, but back then, you know, it was like, you know, crypto and FX, it's always like in one jar. And uh, because, you know, it's for 24 seven global in pairs. So it's, you know, the word I like to describe it, like it looks like a cow, but doesn't behave like a cow. So what is it exactly? I mean, yeah, it looks 24 seven pairs, but you know, when I'm looking you know, at the FX, you know, the, the you know, traditional FX and the Euro dollar or the Euro yen, it has its own parameters, you know, that uh, factors that, that, uh, that affect it. But, you know, when you're trying to use those for the crypto, it's like, mm, I don't care. Um, I have my own, my own mind. So I had to know, understand what, what this is. I mean, and I kind of got the idea that it's not anything like, like what we call like the fiat or the traditional currency that is issued by a central bank, any central bank. So it has to be something else. So what is that something else? And as I started you know, digging into that, because I'm very diligent, so I had to, I realized, oh, there's technology behind it. Oh, there's blockchain technology. What the, so I had to understand that. So I got really sucked in into that, you know, understanding uh, consensus uh, mechanism and protocols and how it's evolving. And I'm very much into, you know, what can you do with that? How can that be evolved? How can you make it better? How can you scale it? How, you know, there's all kinds of questions of, oh, but it's so clunky, it's so this, you know, it's not mainstream, people don't understand it. So what can we do to be like that, to be like an app that you use on your phone? And the fact that it has technology behind it and it's attached to, it relates to society and, and, and economics, but it has technology, I felt like so like lightning. I mean, like like with a bulb, like woof. This is it. Technology and economics and 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 uh, social. That's exactly where I'm supposed to be because I was waiting for that to happen. <laughs> it was just made for me. Uh, so that's that's, uh, that's my story, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. I can understand. I was thinking that the whole, as soon as you said that you had like an engineering background, I was like, oh, th this makes total sense. Because uh, most of the, well, everything that makes Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies possible is like hardcore math, physics, and tech, right? Uh -huh. Which is pretty right. crazy. Um, right. Well, I'm excited to get into that. Real quick before, I'm going to segue and ask you that question, which is, what do you like to do that makes you happy? Just to, right, to start talking about some like, I don't know, Terminator level technology here. <laughs> that sounds like ray off into the future. So let's talk more about the humanity in all of us. What do you yeah. like to do that makes you happy? I think that there's another thing that is kind of maybe unique about me is like, you know, usually people have like the right brain and the left brain, like the creative one and the logical one. That one is more, you know, dominant than the other usually. In my case, they're both very dominant. So I always had this kind of like, right, not, you know, they always wanted to work together and I always was trying, you know, for them to work together. So I'm a very creative person. And I think that, so my creativity comes in many ways. One is, you know, it's like I, I make jewelries, I make, you know, clothes. I, I you know, I like to, I'm, I'm very creative, you know, um, 
in, in the way I express myself, I like to write. Uh, but you know, you know, making jewelry and thinking creatively is 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 the fun part that I like to do. It's like what relaxes me and and makes me happy. You know, being creative. And I always, you know, even though technology seems like very rigid, but it's not so. I mean, in order to really innovate, you have to be creative. You have to have a creative mind. Yes, you need the technical skills, but those who have really been in the forefront of, of innovation, they've been very creative because you need that creativity in order to come up with something that we haven't seen before. Uh, yeah, so, or even sometimes to just get yourself out of a hole. <laughs> Exactly. So I think that, you know, when you try to put people in a box or you're just an artist or you're just, a, a, you know, um, a developer or an engineer, it's not true. I mean, you can combine them both. And I think, and, and now I feel very happy with this combination. I was trying to fight it. You know, I have to be either this or that because that's what I, you know, was demanded, so to speak, for me, many, especially when you're a child. I mean, what are you? <laughs> but, so, yeah, so now I think that, you know, I have this creativity, you know, in a more like an artistic way, but I think I'm bringing it also to think about problems like now in the blockchain space, which there's a lot of things that need to be resolved in order for that to become mainstream, in order to really deliver the premise of Bitcoin. And I know that people have forgotten what was the premise of Bitcoin. And I'm here to educate people that we never shouldn't should never forget that. Well well yeah we could definitely I would love to hear what the what you uh, would say the premise of it is. Uh, but you know I think that's great though that you like to pursue so many different pursuits pursue pursuits uh, because of I mean, especially in areas that are new or like this, where it's multidisciplinary. And I mean, honestly, the world that's going forward is multidisciplinary. Exactly. Um, and it, it's like, I have this like little thing that someone said to me once they were like, uh, you know, my industry is like going down and the only industry that's not is yours and meaning tech. And I was like, ah, actually, I think a different way is that tech is just infecting every other industry. And exactly. it's changing and whatever is in there is completely like being burnt up and something else is coming out of it, which like fundamentally is a different structure, different behavior. It's a whole different thing. Um, and really what that ends up meaning is that everything is somewhat of a hybrid in some way. Mm -hmm. um, and right. when I was real, and I love everything you said, especially about blockchains, because so much of this is, you know, people have a hard time because I feel like everything, especially in just the zeitgeist is just like, it's this or it's that. Mm -hmm. where this is like, well, it's none of those things. And it's also some of those things because of the behavior mm -hmm. of it. And it's different. Um, and it's a bit of two different worlds that we haven't seen before. Um, right. And that's kind of the whole world of where we're entering right now. So right. Hey, that's, that's great. Also that you do things other than just tech. Okay. So what do you think the purpose of Bitcoin is to go back? Well, I mean, if you think about it, let's, let's go back. I don't know how many years, like almost 12, 13 years, at least 12, right? It was launched in January of 2009. So we are almost 12 years for sure, if not entering the 13. And if you think about it, let's think back what happened in exactly right there. I mean, it's, I mean, when people say it's a coincidence, no, it's not a coincidence. Uh, exactly, it was launched exactly after the financial crisis in 2008. There's no coincidence 
And the premise of Bitcoin was, okay, I know that it sounds like very, you know, I, like, you know, some kind of anarchy or something like that, but, you know, let's put that aside, okay? I mean, I'm not going to, you know, try to go and, and rebel and, <laughs> and lead like <laughs> a revolution right now, but let's go back to that. I mean, the novel, novelty of the idea of what Bitcoin was trying to do in a sense of how, looking at the society in a global sense and what it means. So the idea behind it was let's create a financial system, a payment in it started as a payment system, which you know it didn't really get to what it was supposed to do, because you know a lot of things happened in the way, and I, 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 we might be able to talk about it. But the idea was that we want to break through from the financial institutions and the central bank and the government and not let them control our financial life, we're going to control our financial life. So we're going to create this system that is trustless, that we can still trust each other even though we don't know each other, but we don't need an intermediary to tell us how to trust each other. And that's you know, all the beauty of you know, this consensus mechanism and the mining and everything else. And we create this peer-to-peer -peer system with a consensus mechanism. And in a sense, it was, if you think about it, it was socialism and capitalism living together in one system. And I explain what I mean by that. And this is how we have to think about things. People always thinking about one or the other. And I'm thinking, no, let's hybrid. Let's think, you know, in how things can integrate and why they need to integrate in the right way. And I think Bitcoin just showed us that it can be integrated and it has to. So the mission was very social, right? Peer-to-peer -peer system run by the people for the people, right? We don't need any intermediaries. However, they did know if in order for that to really function and be trustless and people can trust each other, there is this mining concept. So the mining concept, you know, you need people to validate a transaction, right? You need to mean people to mine it. So well, before before we get into mining, can we go just? But, but let me just, you know. Okay, go ahead. Keep one, point here, one point here: why I'm seeing that capitalism and socialism are working together. So the socialism part, we understand the algorithm, right? But in order for that to function, you need to do with capitalism. So they understood people are not going to do it for nothing. You have to reward them. And this is how the capitalism gets into to help the socialism function. So the capitalism and the socialism are kind of like working together in order to make this happen. And that was the premise that we kind of forgot. So, but I just think that, you know, we, we can't have both working together. It's just a matter of people trying to think outside the box. And, and that's the whole idea. And I think Bitcoin just showed us that you can think out of the box. I mean, because you want it to function, but you need to reward people and you need to incentivize them. So the, incentive, the, the, the rewarding aspect, that's a capitalism aspect of the it, Because it needs, in order for that socialism to work. So they can be integrated together in order to deliver something that the premise is a system that is for the people by the people 
So we, for the people, by the people, we decide how to reward them. We decide how to penalize them. But it's us as a community deciding about that. It's not coming from above. It's not an enforced regulation. So we can still control it and control this capitalism, so to speak. So that's, that's a long answer, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can keep going as many long answers as you would like. Uh... Okay, so the purpose is to take control of our financial financial system. Is that what you said? Or take control of our finances? Uh, yeah, I mean, a, it, a mixed system built on mm-hmm. technology of rules, which is, I guess, the socialism, right? In your mm-hmm. analogy right. here of how we can trust each other to complete a transaction, um, either you know a bit of information or an exchange of money, which goes on to information in this right. uh, system, and then a capitalistic function, which is mining, where it is, if you are helping drive that rule system of consensus of transactions that are happening, you will be rewarded over time for the, you know, equal to the amount of effort that you put in. Exactly. And we, and there are rules. And if you are not following the rules, you're going to be penalized. So we are the community, the consensus mechanism, the community deciding how to penalize you and how to reward you. Whether you're worthy of reward or you're going to penalize because you are acting against against the community. So, so that's the idea. So we can, I think it's a, it's a really great proof of concept that this type of socialism, capitalism can work together. And if it is controlled, control, I mean, I don't like the word control, but it is empowered, maybe that's a better word, by the community. Right. And so, not okay, by so, the government, let's put it this way. Right. The, the people who are actively in, in, involved in the transactions or involved in the network are the people who are setting the rules through consensus, which maybe it might be a good time to kind of explain what blockchain is because blockchain okay. and Bitcoin are a bit of the same. So let me take a quick stab at it. So okay. blockchain is a consensus protocol and a way of storing information distributedly across of a network where there are nodes, which are essentially stores of all the transactions that happen on the network. And then there are users that have a ledger, which is their record of transactions that they have done on there. And let's just say you and I, I wanted to buy a piece of jewelry from you and we wanted to do it on Bitcoin. Um, I would give you the agreed upon price. And then the nodes would say, okay, hey, these people are trying to get a transaction. Let's take a look at all the transactions that one has done versus the next one. Let's see if these are real actors. Hey, everyone else, you guys getting the same list of bills that I am. Yes, it's, it's good. Okay, cool. This transaction is going to happen. X amount is going this way. And then it's written to the chain, which is then stored. Chain is just a, a series of transactions on a database. Is then stored on each of these nodes, in which case people can, once again, if I wanted to buy another piece of jewelry or whatever happens next, the same set of things occur, but the power of it in is decentralized is that anyone can spit up a node. They just, you know, get all of the record transactions and they start serving as an open node on the network to verify more transactions and so on and so forth. And then after a certain number of transactions have been minted or concurred, that's when a new block comes into the chain, which is the number, some total of coins in <clears throat> circulation Mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Anything you wanted to add to there? Because that was fast, but wanted to give it. Yeah, uh, well, usually when 
people ask me about it, I try to be less technical and talk more like in lemon terms in order to bring people to understand it. Because when I'm starting trying to talk about nodes and, you know, and all, and miners, people kind of start losing. And then there's, you yeah. know, every, every, every sentence bring another question, then another, another, another question. So I worked on that a lot, you know, and trying to figure out how can I really make it a little bit simpler for people to understand and bring like the mainstream and the people on the street to understand what it means as a blockchain. So the way I like to see, I mean, people like to think about the blockchain, you know, they always say, oh, it's a ledger. Yes, it is a ledger, but it's a very unique ledger. It's a, it's a, it's an immutable ledger, meaning that you can't change anything. It's not like a ledger like the Excel that you can change and come and all create and, and delete and and make all kinds of changes and no one will remember you know what was before. This one is something that cannot be deleted, cannot be altered, cannot be changed. That's what we say. It's immutable, so it stays there forever and ever and ever and ever. So as long as you know this technology lives, this ledger will live and whatever transaction is created is there forever. So this is why I'm saying that everything that is launched or created or, or, or uh, being transferred on, on, you know, on the ledger, on this ledger can be traceable and trackable because it's there forever. So that's one beauty of this technology that it's not a simple ledger, it's something that it's there for everyone to see and forever. So you can do anything to, to change it. This is part of the, the trustless idea that if it was not, if it was, if you were able to alter and change, then the trust issue goes out of the window. So it had to be that kind of ledger that doesn't allow you to change things. So that's one aspect of you know, this immutability that helps you to be able to build this peer-to-peer -peer system because otherwise, how can I trust that you're not gonna come and you know, delete it and erase everything that was happening just before? So that's the one aspect of it. So on top of that is, as you mentioned, you know, a node. And what is a node? It's a computer, basically, right? So as long as you have internet connection, no matter where you are, I can be sailing to Alaska or on the top of the Himalaya. If I have internet connection and I have my laptop, I can tap into the blockchain. That's another beauty of it. So, every, so it, it has access from everywhere to anybody. So everyone can see that ledger. It's not like you know, a centralized ledger that you have, let's say, on AWS, on the app, you know, you know, you have a certain you know, permission and you can get in. No, this is something that everyone can see. This is, a, this is another reason why it is trustless because everyone can see it. If it was just, you know, permission to some very exclusive group, then we, we lose the trust. So it had to be that type of decentralization so that we think. But if you think about it, just, you know, access to everyone, no matter who you are, we don't know who you are, we don't know your color, we don't know your race, we don't know your age, we don't know anything about you. All what we know is that you can tap into that as long as you can. You know, you have internet connection. So that's, you know, the, 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 you know, the access, the disability, the decentralization that we were talking about. And on top of that, so 
you, you were talking about transactions and a block. So people are always asking, you know, why do we have a block, right? What does it mean? So I thought about it long and hard, you know, how can I explain to people in a way that they might be able to understand? Think about it. So the way that I came to, you know, explain it is that a block is like a file. Let's say you have a file in your computer and a file has, you know, a lot of accounts, right? You know, and they have all the information of this account and transactions and everything else. So you can think about the block as a collection of transactions. And the transactions have information about, you know, the ID. The ID is like, you know, the, the, the wallet. And people are always asking, what is a wallet? You think about it as an ID, your account number. That's how you can think about the wallet because uh, they, they get, you know, kind of like turn, I mean, kind of put off, you know, what, what, what is a wallet? So it's an account, you know, your bank account, some idea. So think about, you know, your wallet as, you know, as, as the idea of who you are or, or the, your account. So you have information about how this transaction transfer from one account to another account, how much, uh, when, timestamps, so you have all this information. So it's a collection of all these transactions, like you have in a file. If I, you know, also you have a collection of all the transactions, right? But the nice thing about this blog, again, it cannot be changed, it cannot be, you know, deleted, and everyone have access to that, not just, you know, some centralized manager. And on top of that, that's the part of the security aspect, you know, it has to be secure, right? We say about block and chain, right? So the chain that we're talking about is how each and every block is chained to each other. There is, you know, the ID of each and every block is created as part of the block that came before it. And this is how they are chained to each other in this cryptographic way. And this is why we say that, you know, as if you have a lot of transact, a lot of blocks and it's kind of like, you know, a very old transaction, in order to change that transaction, it will take a lot of time consuming and money in order to change it because you have to change not just this block, but the previous one and the previous one and the previous one and the previous one. So it's a lot of money and a lot of time. And there were some analysis to show the thing that's just an hour of, you know, trying to change, you know, this, uh, um, uh, um, like the, ledger. Like the 51 the ledger of Bitcoin will cost you more than a million dollars. Now, a lot of money for really not getting far with that. Not to mention that if you change it, remember that everyone has access. Every computer has access. So every computer has the entire ledger. So you'll have to change it, let's say, theoretically speaking, there are millions of, of, of nodes like that with millions of copies like that. So you'll have to change it on all these millions of copies in order to make a change for that blockchain. So this is why when we say that it's almost impossible to hack and change the blockchain, that's the reason, because it was created in that sense. Because otherwise, how can I trust if I know that it can be change in the, in, in, the, in the blink of a second. So this is, you know, I know 
a lot of technology behind it, but these are all the reasons why we created this system, this technology system with all of this mechanism in order to create that trust layer that we can really do it peer-to-peer -peer without the intermediaries. Because otherwise, how can I trust that something will change? So that's the way that I like to explain it to, to you know, but, but in less technical terms. Yeah, no, that's a good point because with blockchain, there's so many different layers. Cause then, and then you enter Bitcoin when then it's like value gets thrown in there too. Mm -hmm. But so like the different blocks are like files on a desktop of your computer. Right. And if you were to click in there, you would see transactions that occurred that created that one. And then right. every time enough of those gets minted, there's enough transactions. There's another file on that desktop, except for right. we're talking about devices innumerable <laughs> across yeah. all of the globe. I mean, the, the way that you can think about this block, I mean, I mean, the consensus mechanism, the way it was created, at least with Bitcoin, they had like a, a limit of, I think, uh, 20, 50 megabytes, uh, you know, that you can store there. So you can think about, you know, like, like let's say with Excel, <laughs> that you cannot have a file and like somebody tells you, oh, no, an error, like an error, like you know, it cannot have more than, you know, this many observations. So this is how we have to think about it. So block is created like, you know, that Excel spreadsheet tell you, oh, we can't, an error, we can't have more, this, you know, more observations, only 20 observations, otherwise, you know, we have to create a new file. So this is how we have to think about it. So that's kind of the idea of why you have this block and another that file and another file and another file. And another it's as if, you know, you created this restriction that Excel created, but for different reasons. <laughs> right, right. But in, in this case, it's like a very simple mechanism that in such a way creates all these small atomic units. Exactly. To go, to go backwards and search and then alter and then have that alter reverberating all the way back in some way because of how small it is. It's like death by a thousand cuts or in this case, exactly. thousand thousand computations in order to make that happen exactly so it's, this is why we say it's just impossible if you need a lot of computation power a lot of money and what's the point <laughs> right 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 um okay that's that was a great framing uh to go like a little bit longer on uh the trust aspect there's also like a cryptographic layer that always like gets everyone eyes glazing over at that uh, part of it but really the it, that's like the heart of the consensus protocol which is such to say mm -hmm. like in like the broadest terms possible that you know a certain number of other computers or nodes on the network need to agree to it and this right. is what it's cal it's calculating that this is happening to the degree that it needs to happen in order to go continue forward and this is largely the same with you know other crypto but bitcoin in particular is is how it's functioning right yeah I mean, I think that every blockchain, whether it's Ethereum or even Algorand, the proof of stake, they all have they all have validators. What do validators do? I call them validators. I mean, Bitcoin call them miners for food it works, but at the end of the day, it's, just, it's a validators. Because you need someone, okay, so you don't have a bank. The validators do what the bank will do for you, right? This financial institution, if I now have a transaction with you, you buy jewelry from me hopefully, I'm not selling them, but let's say I sell them, then how do you know, you know, that I'm, you know, really have that asset and you and I will trust you that you're really going to pay me the 20 bucks 
So we go through this, you know, financial institutions, you know, I'm paying with the credit card, you know, they go to your bank, I go to my bank, then they go from my bank to your bank, and they're making sure you know that you exist and you have a 20 bucks and I exist and I have an account. So we both real. So they're making these validations and you know, and, and this happens, and then we pay for that, right? Pay for that with time, pay for that with money. And we pay with that also that our financial information is centralized, you know, that they are it's in the hand of those centralized organizations. So how can we not have these banks or financial institutions to do that? And we can still be able to trust each other that, you know, you have an account, you're gonna really send me this, you know, 20 and I really exist, right? You know, how can we know that? So you have these validators, you know, all these nodes, the members, you know, which are called the validators. And they're going to, that's exactly what they do. They, let's say, uh, we are, you going to, you know, uh, broadcast to the network, so to speak. That's, that's the, the, the definition that we say. Or just to say, you know, like we broadcast, you know, there's a visa transaction or something, right? That's what they, same idea. And you're broadcasting, I want to, to, to transfer 20 bucks to, to this person's account, right? So they're going to, to validate that your account does exist, right? That it's really you because you have to send this, you know, your, your digital signature also with your private key. And you, you do have the 20 bucks. You're not just, you know, saying that you do. They're going to make sure that you have them and you can transfer that. And they make sure that that exists. You know, my ID is my ID. And then they can validate uh, that they can transfer that. So they... And they also have to agree, like 51% of them have to agree about this information in order for that to happen. So that's the validators. And this is how I, coming back to the capitalism issue, if you want them to do this work, you have to reward them. They're not gonna do it for free, right? You know, you want them to help you make a transaction and trust, you know, this system. So you have to reward them. So this is how we going back to, you know, the transaction, how, how it happens. In, in a way that you know you're rewarding those validators, whether it's proof of stake in proof of stake, you're also rewarding them. And your proof of work, you're also rewarding them. So the so that's the mechanism, whether it's Bitcoin or, or Ethereum or Algorand or any other. So you that's 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 something that is built in, this validation and the rewarding uh, mechanism on how to reward. And you know, I mean, I don't know if you're gonna go to get to, to that, but you know, even when now Ethereum is now thinking of moving a proof of work to proof of state, they're still, you know, thinking a lot about this consensus mechanism, how you can reward in a way that you incentivize good behavior and you penalize bad actors in a consensus mechanism that will allow this to function even though you work you move to proof of state. So that's the, the, the idea of uh, how we can still be empowered that we are have control over you know our finances about our you know, we don't need any intermediaries but at the same time we are rewarding those who are helping us validate the transaction so that's right, act, acting as the 
the bank in this sense, almost they're, they're providing the computer equipment, the power that goes into it in order to run these transactions, the internet, you know, paying Comcast, whoever they have to, you know, to be able to go out there onto the net and actually validate these transactions. So it's incentivizing them to continue doing that while also creating mechanisms within the community that set the rules for the game, you know, continue to, you know, foster what the community wants in that as far as transactions and immutability and whatnot. Um, right. And then moving forward. Uh, yeah, I, maybe I would love to come back to proof of state, but one of the things that you said that I wanted to at least touch on, uh, made sure okay. we had time for was the decentralized mm -hmm. finance in general. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, in, in this case, the, yeah, I, I wonder what, like, how can I put this? If you can expand a little bit more on how that industry or that like I mm -hmm. concept uh, can even exist now, because essentially what Bitcoin did, it pops onto the scene, um, you know, and it, it at first was used as a currency. Like the first time I ever heard of it was for Silk Road. Yeah. Like buying drugs. I, I just, you know, about to publish an op-ed on, on Coinbase that explains, you know, how we completely deviated from what yeah. Bitcoin was supposed to do to what it's now. And hopefully it will come back. <laughs> it might. Yeah, I would love to read that, by the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's turned, it's turned into like a Robin hood or like a financial mm -hmm. asset kind of tradability thing. Mm -hmm. Um, especially yeah, in so many ways, it is much more like, uh, currency trading, but almost currency trading mixed with companies. Um, because you know, there are, there's Bitcoin, which acts the most like a currency. Um, and then there's other ones like you're talking about Ethereum, which really truly does act like a company or other ones like right. decentralized land where right. you you know, could buy like digital properties with this right. coin, uh, right. which once again, a little bit closer, but still is the company you're buying into that's, mm -hmm. you know, hosting this whole virtual mm -hmm. world. Um, but, you know, B Bitcoin comes in with this blockchain and, you know, concept which is amazing, you know, is somewhat used as a currency in the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people like out in the wild, either friends or acquaintances that say, they lost most of their Bitcoin that would be worth, you know, upteen amounts of money now, because I think it was Domino's or pizza. I think it was Domino's mm -hmm. was offering yeah. a thing where you, you can buy Bitcoin yeah. with a pizza. Yeah. Like, oh, whatever. A, yeah. Yeah. I, I heard about that. I wasn't there. I mean, I wish it was one of those, you know, uh, um, I mean, I, I got, I got later. I feel like, you know, I should have gotten there early, but yeah. Uh, well, but, even when you were uh, saying six years ago, it sounded like it was yeah. back in the day, but that's this is just yeah. how fast it's moving. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I I mean, the way that I just let's think about what is decentralized finance. If you think about it, it's something that's supposed to be decentralized, right? I mean, to begin with, that's the first thing. And finance is a lot of things. I mean, people just, you know, again, I don't like to put things in boxes. <laughs> that's my creative self that we know because today, especially you said, everything is integrated. Everything is multidisciplinary. Everything is like, you know, connected. And, and especially, you know, what happened with COVID just, you know, was like, you know, the, the, a great use case to tell us how, how connected we are and how we are like really a super small village that whatever happens in, one maybe very far away place is going to affect you right here. And it just tells me that, you know, thinking like, oh, in little, you know, silos and boxes is so not true. 
and and just think about what just happened to us in the past year or even two years you know since you know the beginning of 2020 we are almost closing like two years with this if you think about it so back to bitcoin so if you think about it bitcoin the way that i think about it, you know payment is one function of the financial system right it's so it was trying to i mean the the premise is to create like a decentralized payment system a peer-to-peer payment system so that was the first DeFi to think about it. the first decentralized finance application but i had only one application which is payment but financially in our financial world we do more than just payment we do a lot of other things and in fact if you think about it the way I think about it, in fact, I wrote something about it that I can send that to you, is that every, uh, the way that I see it, everything is DeFi. Why? I explain, I'll explain myself. Because everything is transaction-based. Whatever we do in the economy is transaction-based. We always transact, and whether it's information or you know, an actual asset, whether really a digital asset, physical asset, or uh, everything is transaction-based, one way or another. So everything that is transaction-based needs to be authenticated in some way, right? Needs to have some kind of a system that allows to trust, right? That, you know, whatever I'm transferring from one let's say, place to another, from one account to another, from one wall, you can call it whatever you want, is real, is true, and authenticated, and whoever is, you know, transferring, it does exist, and he, he or she is the right person, and whoever is receiving it is the right person, etc. So, if without this authentication, no transaction can be transferred. No transaction can happen and nothing can be transferred. And that's, you know, at the core of everything that we do in our economy. Think about it. You know, we're always transferring something. Yeah, you know, so, even when so you write an email, you know, when you write an email, you're transferring information, right? When, you, when you walk into a store and look at somebody to know if you should buy, like, you know, is, should I buy this? Can I trust that this isn't going to fall apart? Or if, you know what I mean, whatever it may be, so much is un understood and taken for granted in that looking each other in the eye. Exactly. So we have to take that concept and create some mechanism that will allow you to trust whatever information you're receiving, whatever asset you going to buy or sell or even you know get as a gift <laughs> and say, you know you want to get a gift that's going to blow up in your face <laughs> uh, so you want to trust the person who's giving you the gift right or even in that um, sense the the cellophane wrap on things we buy that gives yeah. us a bit of trust that's never been exactly open, but you know what i mean exactly exactly so so there's a lot of trust you know that we and we always you know miss that and we, we, we get back to the root of this trust only when things go haywire, like the Cambridge Analytica issue, like, you know, when there is a hack to your account, and this, or all kinds of, you know, kind of mishap that happens, and then people say, oh, God, we need to trust. Then, you know, they come back to the root of trust. 
And, but that's basically at the basis of everything that we do in life. We're not gonna do anything if we don't trust the product or the service or the person or the place or whatever that is. I mean, am I gonna go on a plane if I don't trust the, you know, the, the company who's flying the plane? Or I don't trust that they're gonna really hire someone who's capable of flying the plane. I mean, everything is trust-based. So the beauty of this technology, whether it's NFTs, I mean, and this is why I'm big on NFTs, is the authentication issue and the trust issue. And you know, the way that blockchain technology allows you to create this authentication and its immutability and its traceability and trackability that you can create that trust in any transaction that you're going to do, whether it's information, whether it's, you know, I can enter the store because I know that this is a trust authenticated place and or it has a certificate or you said, you know, like, you know, that the, uh, the wrap of, of, the, of the gift, right? You know, that I can have a, an authentication that this, you know, uh, wrap of the gift, you know, is really being created with the right ingredients and, you know, and it's not gonna, um, you know, do anything you know, crazy and, and, and I know who's the company. And so how about this authentication that can, we can create like a smart contract, you know, token, you know, that can authenticate that. So if you think of, so now I'm really like, maybe like going like in different directions, like uh, in sideways, but the point is that DeFi goes above and beyond just, you know, currency and, you know, and trading. People always, you know, think about, oh, centralized finance, oh, that's trading and investing. No, 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 no. Think about it in a broader way of what econ economic transactions are. Everything that we do is transaction-based. And whatever we do, we need to trust each other in order to make this, so to speak, transaction, even if it's just information. Even just, you know, you said, you know, looking in the eyes. How can you look in the eye on, a, on something that's digital, right? So the looking in the eyes, so to speak, would be me trusting via this consensus mechanism, via these validators who are going to be my eyes and make sure that I can trust that, you know, whoever I'm, going to make a transaction so that's the way i'm thinking about DeFi, and i can even give you a scenario of how i think it's going to go but let me i'll let you talk now because i i talked enough probably no no you can keep going uh the only thing i'll add to that is that just the, the layer more on the trust aspect of it is i think humans are inherently hardwired to not not pay attention to things that they're going well until they go badly. And then we overselect for how bad it is. And we are right. hardwired to overselect for how bad things are constantly. Right. right. But I think an interesting scenario. So I'll talk about it in like pharmaceuticals and they come in here is like, I think it was the early nineties. Um, there was like a rash of Tylenol that was laced with arsenic. And uh, afterwards to in order for people to trust so that all Tylenol gets pulled off the shelf but to trust it, they started wrapping it in all those little bits of foil and then putting mm -hmm. the cotton in there, right? So in order to know, like, so you could trust, like, oh, I can take Tylenol again, right? Because you would right. think, like, how, like, if you got, you heard some people were dying from arsenic and Tylenol, right. like, how, how right. easily would you go reach for that, like, you know, red and white bottle? Like, I, I don't right. know about that, right? 
Yeah. Um, I, I even still think about it because of like how much of a trusting system we have even with this. Exactly. Thing. But um, that gives us some peace of mind until all of a sudden it doesn't. And the mm-hmm. interesting thing about decentralized finance is because the network is continuing forward in time, essentially, right? And people are investing into it, into energy. Cause really it's like, it's all run on electrons that are continuously right. fed across everywhere. Right. Um, and so long as people are still investing that into it, it's going to keep going forward and you can't mess with it in any way, right? You can't tamper with it. And that's what's gonna continue to give us trust to be able to use it as a means of transaction, which is quite startlingly different if we were to think about dollars Right. right. Most people don't because it's just like in an account. How much do we even use cash? Like I never right. actually ever have cash on me. Right. In fact, if I, I find cash in my wallet, sometimes I, I mistake it for a receipt and I'm like, oh, do I have a receipt? And then it's like, oh, my God, where did that 20 come from? Like, that's how little I have cash ever. Um, but, you know, you know, when that, you know, when happens to me, when sometimes you go on, on a, you know, like you take a cab and someone say, no, only pay with cash. And I'm like, cash? I've never used cash, you know, for years. I mean, what are you asking me for? <laughs> that's so funny where i live there's a lot of places that only take cash but i only take it from the bank and immediately give it to them so like i literally only have it for like you know five minutes like uh, it's like bizarre concept cash <laughs> uh it feels antiquated sometimes it yeah feels. exactly um but the the difference is it is that in this decentralized finance because it is so atomized you're actually closer to the network mm-hmm. of all of the you know mm-hmm. financial institution within it as opposed to a bank note from a, a central bank in which case i mean i think it's something like what 40 percent or 25 percent i don't know some outrageous number of more money being in circulation right now than ever since like a year ago because of all the stimulus and all that stuff of the u.s and this is why when people are telling me oh crypto is 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 imaginary is is, is imaginary it's imaginary and I'm saying, like, what? Your bank account is not? Right, right. I mean, you know, do is. you think that you really have money in your bank? No. Right. Do you think that, you know, your, your fiat money is it's all imagination? It's all a fiction. And that's what yes. people don't get. Well, I, mean, I, I think it's, it's a fiction. It's a big fiction. It's, it's even well, more fiction than crypto. Because it crypto, at least I can trace it and I can track it. This one, I don't know where it is. But it's got these pretty pictures on it, though. And it's got these old dead white guys. Um, but, if, you no, have, but, if, if you hold the cash itself, but yeah, you yeah, don't, yeah. right? Most of no, us no, you don't. Oh. It's backed by the U.S. Treasury, which is a, exactly. it's, it, says that, it says in all of them. But I think the point, though, is that they're all ideas, right? Yeah. So, like, all of it is an idea, you know, if it, it's crypto or it's currency at, at all, right? I mean, like caraway shells is like one of the first means of currency that people have recorded. Yeah, you know I mean? right. like people combing the beach for just something to agree upon or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they're all just concepts, right? And some things give us more trust that we don't even realize because once again, as people, we kind of overselect for sight. You know what I mean? Like right. I can feel cash. I can see these like notes, you know what I mean? And people talk about it all the time. And I see numbers in my accounts and I do some work and there's, they, those numbers go up. And then well, I- you can see numbers in your wallet on Bitcoin. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. You can, but it's, yeah. it's new though. Right. So it's like, I mean, what? I mean in my, when I'm looking at my bank account, I see numbers. I see my bank number, right? This is a number. So I also have a wallet with maybe it's a longer number with some maybe letters also. So that's a difference. 
And then I see dollar amount. And so instead of seeing dollar amount, I see blockchain, I mean, Satoshi amount. So, so Satoshi, so let's say you have euros, call it whatever you want. I mean, call it, uh, I don't know, James. I mean, who cares what you call it? It's a currency that you can transact with. As long as two parties agrees on, the, on that I'm willing to receive it and I'm willing to pay you that, that's all that matters. You can use a goat and a cow, which people have done in the, I don't know, thousand years ago. And they still, you know, made a transaction, you know, I give you like two goats for one cow, the fat one over there, and the two, you know, skinny goats over there are gonna be transacted. I mean, as long as we agree, that's all we need. Yes. No, I, well, the, the, I actually, to your point, I think it's really put well is that it's actually simpler of a concept on blockchain. Because if you abstract out of, okay, so I have a single bill in front of me and the single bill is made of cotton. It feels, you know, I, that distinct way that money feels and it's got these like, you know, writing on it. It's got this weird pyramid with an eye thing. And it's got all this stuff on it. Um, that like how that got, came to be in my hand and what the real value is of that versus, you know, a peso versus like, what's the real value of this in 10 years mm -hmm. is way more abstract and comp and complicated right because there's all these different ways you're like oh banks can print money as long as they have this and they you know they go out and they lend more out and the central bank can print money you know because mm -hmm. they're trying to you know buy you know quantitative easing it was quantitative easing oh it's this complicated concept where you know there's bonds it's like all these different mechanisms of how there's more of these little bills that come in there it's far more complicated mm -hmm. but it's so much more pervasive that people mm -hmm. have like built the walls in their head to say like, oh, I don't understand that stuff. Like, you know, in this because case, like, oh, don't I don't understand the technology. They don't understand. No. no. They think they understand, but once you tell them that it's a fiction, they don't understand what it means that it's a fiction. They all they understand. No, I mean, if I really start, you know, talking the real theory of economics, people lose me. It's exactly like talking technology. Because they don't understand how money really works. Right. All they know, there is an account and they see you know, a number of dollars that they have in their account. I don't know, $1,000 in their account and they have $1,000 in their account. And I'm saying, okay, so now you go to Bitcoin and you see 1,000 Satoshis in your account. What's the difference? No difference. Right. In fact, the $1,000 in your account are more for fiction than 1,000 Satoshi on your wallet of Bitcoin. Why? Because those thousands may not be a thousand. And they are tied to something to the, to basically, if you think about it, back to, you know, my history of, you know, how I got into Bitcoin, it's like, you know, when I did my research on FX. So the, the fiat currency is very much tied to that economy. So if it's a strong economy, so the strong the, that 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 you always you know see that you know that it's you know the 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 because the, the, it's all about you know in pairs you know to compare one basically comparing one economy to another. When you compare, when you have like the dollar euro and you see the exchange rate, the exchange rate depends on the strength of their economy. This is why now you have the the Venezuela. 
um, you know, currency, which is, you know, almost nothing because the economy is not so stable. So it's all based on the economy. But, and this is even more of, a, more of troubling if you ask me, than if you think about something that is digital, that is all based on technology. The technology is not gonna be fade away. It's not depending on some, you know, central banks or monetary policy or some crazy, you know, government who's doing all kinds of crazy things to the economy. It's technology. It's based rule. And it's gonna stay there forever. The rules are gonna stay and no one is gonna change them. And this is even more, you have to trust it even more because you, you, you can even have access to the code itself. So maybe you don't know the code. So maybe you have a friend who knows the code, can tell you what's, in, what's inside the code. But inside of the government mind, I would never know what's going on there. Yeah, everything is is in the open. It's all open source, all completely readable to everybody. You know, you can tool yourself up to get the skill, or you can trust somebody similar to like I'm buying a used car, and I go ask somebody to go come come, come kick the tires and knows what to look under the hood for, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's well, the economy aspect is so abstract, right? Um, but it's like a, a known term, right? And I think that that's a, a big part of a kind of cements this as a you know a easily dismissed idea right because it's like well there's abstract abstract concepts but i hear them all the time they're familiar to me okay like you know some parts of it i don't understand that's fine like most people don't understand the federal reserve or that there's a dual mandate or what that is they don't right. understand they just right. you know pretend i didn't i understand what dollar means do you really understand what dollar means right Right. Because when is... I really get into the theory, because I have been on my PhD, if I really get, oh, please don't, 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 don't go there. I mean, you know, just leave us, leave us with the idea that we understand how the, the, the dollar bill looks like. We're fine with that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, in, you know, in this world of completely different uh, structures, right? Because they're, you know, the, the, just simple structures that are able to build up on top of each other. How would finance look and how is it starting to look and what's emerging out of it? Cause, cause the interesting thing that I would love to talk about too, a little bit more is, you know, it was intended as a currency, like the white paper on it is definitely talking about a currency. Um, it's definitely talking about, you know, fiat and just like the, the, the nature of, you know, what a fixed asset Because also something worth noting is, um, you know, blockchains, the undercurrent of all these cryptocurrencies, they all have the different flavors of how they do things differently. Um, mm -hmm. And in all of that, but in Bitcoin, it's fixed. There is a certain point where there's going to be a max number of coins in circulation. And then that's it, which is a, a very novel part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's intended to be part of that so that the, the value stores right. and that, you know, instead of deflation, where you, you know, mm -hmm. that dollar is worth less and less and less, um, the dollar is worth more and more, you know, like something I was actually recently thinking about was when I was a kid and I was like in, in a farm, I lived there for a little bit. And, uh, some guy in like the local cafe was like, when gas hits $2 a gallon, no one's going to drive anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. and I remember thinking that I'm like, oh man, like I've paid like over $5 a gallon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, you know, instead of the dollar in deflating, right. Or inflating and, and becoming worthless, more and more worthless because there's a cap, it gets less. So 
how is this type of financial world in which we have banks that can print money to loan, which is currently what can happen, right? They will not print money, but they can create ledgers to essentially mm-hmm. to, to loan out more than their assets. And um, there's mechanisms for that. And, you know, I store in Chase Bank. Chase Bank is the, you know, the harbor of that. So that if there's a, some kind of bank run or something like that, or a, right. a hacking, right. they insure it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, since there's trust and since this is completely decentralized as a mechanism, does the concept of banks even, how can that work? Like in the means of even loans, can you build loans on top of this? Is it, would it look differently? You know, are there, is this like a foundation enough to be able to have a financial system such as we, we similarly have now? So yeah, it goes back to some of the other words which I'm gonna send it to you. Uh, which basically the way that I envision, you know, the entire system is like, you know, our entire financial system, entire, any product or service will run on distributed ledger technology in one way or another. And the way that I envision it is like, same like we have like driverless, you know, cars, we will have like driverless banks. Everything will be coded. No, everything will be coded. I mean, if you think about it, even, I mean, which means that even the, the, the regulators, the compliance, you know, uh, officials will have to learn coding because the only way for them to really understand how it functions is if they audit the code, right? And not audit, you know, some transactions and, and some, 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 some papers but only the code that would be the only way for them to understand you know, what's going on. And of course, you know, before any, any app is gonna be launched, it has to be audited. So that would be maybe something that will be to some extent self-regulated. Uh, the community will figure out how to self-regulate that or the regulators, you know, will create some kind of a certificate in order for these apps to be launched in a way that they are compliant. Because you know, once they are compliant and they are audited and monitored, and from from the regulator's perspective, they should be happy. Unlike no, I tell you, so, I tell you why. Because with the banks, it's very hard for them to get access and understand what's going on. Right? I mean, they. This is why they have subpoena this and subpoena that and subpoena the other one and subpoena and and fine to millions of dollars to this guy to this bank and the other bank because it's all like you know. They're all like in silos and they're not really being transparent with everything that they do. So it takes them a while to even get into some problems. With DeFi, it's all in the open. It's decentralized. Everyone can see it. Everyone can tap into this. Everyone can trace any transaction. Everyone can track any transaction, including the regulators. And they can see the code. They can see exactly what's happening. And if there's a bug, well, it's software, it's code. I mean. Well, we were humans, some person, I mean, still they're not, you know, it's not a wind, you know, going to come and write the code, you know, still people are doing that. So you can audit that code and make sure you know that, you know, only if it is audited and it is compliant, et cetera, et cetera, then it can be launched. And once it is launched and everyone is happy, I mean, yeah, of course, pre modification, and of course, under all kinds of probably wool base, et cetera, then, but, what I'm saying, it's even, they should be happy because it's good for them, not bad for them. There's 
more transparency, not less transparency. There's going to be more compliance, not less compliance. There will be more protection of, of, the, of the consumer, not less cons uh, protection of the consumer. So I just don't see why it is bad for us. The only reason why it might be bad for us is because these financial institutions are going to maybe lose money. That's the only thing that's going to happen. But it's not bad for us as, the, as a society, as a community, as people, as what the, you know, going back to the premise of what, you know, Bitcoin was supposed to do. So, but financial institutions will have to learn how to make money in a different way. Go out of your, you know, little box and try to be creative. Because, and this is why, I don't know, I wish that I could, you know, some of us see, you know, I, I, I might be like a rebel in my head, but I'm not doing it <laughs> in action. Because in my head, I would like to really create this, like, uprise of people to understand that this is good for them. The government is saying that it's bad for you, but it's not bad for you. It's bad for the government, it's bad for financial institutions, but not bad for you. It can do so much good for you. It can really democratize society in so many ways, really tap into this underserved community and help them in many, many, many ways. Because the rule base is gonna be you know, a code and we are going to govern, govern it. We as a society are going to govern these rules and we're going to decide how the rules are going to happen. And we are not gonna you know, have, and all these biases, why, why I like this technology, because I call it like faceless governance. Why? Because if you think about it, even when you go to vote today, I can see as you know in my class, you know, when I'm asking them to raise their hand, those are looking at each other. It's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. There's like, a, there is a bias because want to be outcomes. And we see that a lot in our society that people are afraid to say something and they're always agreeing with everybody else, not necessarily because it's good for them, but because they don't want to be outcasts. So you never really make a change because they're always going to be these dominated hooligans, I call them, who are going to force, you know, whatever is, you know, if they, if you, if your, your, your voice is, is, you know, you know, louder than anybody else, then that's what everyone is going to hear. Not because this is what everyone wants. It's because you are the louder person in the room. And then everyone is afraid of you and they're gonna say, okay, okay, we're gonna do that. You know, we, we're with you here, we're with you. But when you create this technology, which I call it a faceless governance, you know, the DAO is another issue, which is Central Autonomous Organization, is that you're giving power to everyone I don't know your color. I don't know your age. I don't know your income. I don't know where you live. I don't know who you are, but you and I have the same vote and it weighs the same. And you don't see me, I don't see you. And I don't have to be afraid to raise my hand, so to speak, on this system, on technology system, on this blockchain, on this decentralized system. I don't have to be afraid because 
I know you can't come to, you know, you don't see me, you don't know me. And this is the way that we can really have truth for the first time in our lives. And really hear the voices of those who need to be heard. And this is only when we can really make a change. Now, really like we're talking about the revolutionists. But, <laughs> but that's the whole idea that technology can help us get there. And the ones who are preventing that, these are the hooligans that I call them. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a better iteration than what we have right now. Right. Like I always like the idea of like an iterable, like, you know, calculus, like you're never going to hit the perfect line, never going to reach what you want. You know, you're always going to be overshooting or undershooting. But the point is, is that each time you get a little bit closer, right? Like technology development is the same thing. Like iterations is like a core tenant of building software or I mean, mm -hmm. really anything outside of like really constrained environments like NASA or something. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, something that you mentioned earlier is that, you know, economics is really social studies or social sciences, right? right? Cause it really it is. is, it's, you know, value and how much do people place into that value and then behavior. And one of the, you know, right. amazing things about economics that I always kind of, it's changing a little bit now somewhat, um, except for with COVID, I feel like it's gone backwards actually, but you know, <laughs> that it was that, uh, you know, people behave in ways that are irrational, right? right? And they make decisions that are irrational, right? Like you right. think like, oh, like, oh, here's a great one from the, you know, the housing collapse, like, oh, Right. Re, you know, people will do anything they can to keep in their homes. So right. that is the best fixed asset because they will sell their car. They will right. you know, right. do anything they can to stay in that house. Well, yeah, that's true. Until all of a sudden you're having them, you know, with the balloon payment that they can't mm -hmm. make the payments. And by exactly. the way, you just gave a $3 million house to a janitor, right? Not that right. there's anything wrong with that, but yeah. he's not making the money. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess there is something wrong with giving that money away because it's setting them up for failure, right? But that's the system. Right that, mm -hmm. you know, occurs. Um, right. And the interesting thing about this to tie it back with the regulators is, you know, like if, if your job is to find robbers and there's no robbers anymore, like you're not going to want to do that. It's the, the, the job of a robber catcher is selected for a certain type of person who wants to do that. So right. changing the whole system in order to like, you know, make yourself obsolete you right. know, who would want to do that? Right. Um, and it goes back to like the irrational actors, right? Like we're, you know, on paper, like, oh, so you're telling me, oh, Bernie Madoff can never happen because there's a, a ledger that says all the transactions and trades he made, it makes. And but sure, you see, this me... thing could never happen if you have a blockchain. No, no, because it, it will he, not he happen. No, he can send his email saying I made 12% this quarter, but they would just look at the chain and say like, what are you talking about? Exactly. Just keep adding to it. What, exactly. This? Exactly. Exactly. So he can never do that. I mean, this, you see, this is why it should be, the government should be happy because this kind of situation will never happen. You can't like create something that doesn't exist on the blockchain. You can't. Right. What did he do? He created something that doesn't exist. What is the Ponzi skin? You create something that doesn't exist. But you cannot do it on a blockchain. You can't, you know, make something up. Right. And you can read the code, you know exactly what's in the code. You can see if the code is creating something that never exists, but you can track it. You can see everything that happens. And this is why, you know, when something happens on the blockchain, it can really get detected. Like, you know, for example, there was this, you know, kind of, I don't know, uh, they say like a scammer on OpenSea. 
remember that they one of the employees of OpenSeas, you know, we're trying, you know, to buy before, you know, the auction and then sell it, you know, then and was, you know, so and the beauty of why, you know, why I'm saying, you know, I, I was kind of really amused by this because I was also interviewed. I mean, several places, you know, interviewed me about that. And I was amused and I even told them that I was amused, you know, that even tried to do that because it's probably lack the education of what the blockchain is. Because I mean, immediately it was it was caught. Immediately. And he had to, you know, you know, bring give everything you know, back and, and also, you know, he, 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 uh, uh, he decided, I mean, before he got fired, he just you know, resigned, but the whole idea is that it was impossible for him to do that because everything that he does is traceable on the blockchain, which is Ethereum in that case. So you can see, you know, that he bought it, you have a timestamp exactly, and you can always trace back to that account and which account is, is, is is, is, you know, if, if you really want to do that, because you can, I mean, not everyone can do it. I'm not saying that the layman person on the street, you know, can do these things. You need to have some understanding of, you know, coding and, you know, and, and uh, you know, maybe data analysis of, of some sort. But what the bottom line is that he was caught like in an instant. You could not, you cannot do that in the, in the traditional system. If it was a traditional, you know, Amazon or something like that, you cannot do that. I mean, it will take you, I don't know, maybe never to, to find uh, such a scammer. But on Ethereum, <laughs> it was like caught like within less than a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like give a little background for anyone who might not know. So OpenSea is essentially uh, Amazon for purchasing NFTs. Exactly. NFT, NFTs are non-fungible tokens. And if you can... Uh, mute that just to, as an NFT because most people get tripped up on fungible, okay. uh, uh, non-fungible token, right? Tra token, not token yeah. transaction. Yeah. Um, in which it is, this exists as this, it was created on this date and this is who has owned it in memoriam right. of when it was created. Um, and in this case, you know, most of the time in on OpenSea, at least it's like digital art right so exactly like, yeah they they create all these you know images you know right so you Some can you know gifts. upload up, uh, up yeah gifts you know you can upload you know you can uh you know i was talking to someone he said yeah i know i can take you know the the art that my four-year-old did and you know nft i said yeah i can do that and i don't know who's gonna buy it but let's say <laughs> so yeah you can do something like that and you know you digitize it Basically, you take everything and you digitize it and then you sell it. So that's how you can think about it. And you tokenize it. That's the way that it is transferred. Right, right. So, and, that's, and that's how it moves through. And the beauty of it, which, so like I, I was approached to run a project actually like 2017 or 18 of doing mm -hmm. uh, home titles on a blockchain. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, that is, that's perfect. Like who's on this home? When do they buy it? Like you can even like throw on, like when was work done on it? Like all these things can be. You know. I would like, if you still work on that, I would like to work with you. I've been, I'm thinking oh, about how that, to, but... how to basically put on the blockchain the entire, entire, um, you know, real estate system. Oh, you could totally do it. But what killed yeah. that in the water and what kind of kills everything else that's this type of system for it is regulators. Right, like no, you need in fact to go county by county. But right. once you get a few counties on, 
you may get all of them. You have to create like a proof of concept. So if you want to go back to that idea, let me know. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'm serious too. We can talk about that. But it's, I mean, it's a great idea, but it always, it, it, it comes up against, well, in this case, regulators, but in who's regulating art sales, right? Like you, I can create an Etsy and I can sell something on that, or I can, I can sell my artwork on there, or I can, you know, transact prints of it or something like that. But this is digitizing the actual but Exactly my it. point here, when they were asking me, I said to them, like when they were interviewing me, I was saying to them, look, you can't scam here. Everything is authenticated. So I rather buy on OpenSea than on Etsy. If you ask me. I could see that it's a completely decentralized way of feedback and that this is real, this is existing. It has authentication that right. this is real, who created that, the timestamp, I have a certificate and no one can scam me because if there is a scammer, it's gonna be caught you know, in, in an instant. So now I don't think that anyone is gonna do any scamming on OpenSea because <laughs> they know it's not possible. Well, the, the crazy thing about that though is like to, which is why I was kind of setting it back up is, you know, it's minted, you know, the artist right. created it. And then right. if you, if you bought it beforehand, then the company, the platforms, anybody is going to immediately know like, Hey bro, like I, I, I see that it says your wallet. Right. right. And then like, you were the only one that accessed this code that could have right. altered it to be in this wallet. Right. Like it, like something like that could have happened for a, a long time. I mean, you, you couldn't like the Superman two scam of like scam, taking a little bit of money out of all these bank account transactions. Right. You can't do that because then they no. know the wallet and then at least the wallet could be like isolated. Right. And then exactly. you can go to try to figure out who it is. But it, once the wallet is isolated, like you can't touch it. It's just, it's, exactly. it's, than, it's like a sanction at that point. Exactly. No, I'm just, yeah. you know, how the FBI in fact, you know, is saying, you know, nowadays, you know, they, when they give you that information about terrorists, you have a bank account, your name, the password and, and everything. Now it's, they also have like the Bitcoin account. Mm. So now, yeah, that's part of, you know, the, the other identity because you can, you can identify them. And then, you know, you know that if someone, you know, send you a message from that, from that ID on Bitcoin, don't, don't even, you know, transact with them. So, the FBI, I mean, with the help, of course, of chain analysis, you probably know who they are, like the, you know, company that does a lot of, you know, all this AI um, information uh, with, with blockchain uh, data. So it's possible. Everything is possible today. Yes, you need skills. I'm not saying that everyone on the street can do it. I, but the, it's possible to trace it. So I would want to trust this more than any bank, any bank or Etsy or Amazon or anything like that, if you ask me. If I have, you know, to decide whether to buy it on OpenSea or to buy it on Etsy, I will buy it on OpenSea. Yeah, I can see that. And if you get enough people to buy into it, mm -hmm. it's, it's keeping, it's almost like shopping local, but instead it's using like, a currency that's the equivalent of that right like right. you know you go and buy something from your local store it's got people from local artisans you know whatever you buy that there that money is going to stay within the general community you live in right and this it's the profit of 
you know, transacting those microtransactions, in which case that's how banks can make money off of the user fees. Like, you know, American Express, you know, notoriously isn't right. accepted as many places because they have a charge right. percentage, they charge the merchants. Right. So right. like, you know, instead of them getting it, it's kept within the people who are helping perpetuate the system itself, which is simple and right. so- Empowering. Yeah, so powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting though. I, I, I think it's interesting the comment you made too of how banks are just going to have to get smarter. You know, they're going to have to be more, more creative, more novel because, you know, have you ever read, um, oh, what is her name? Bethany McLean's All the Devils Are Here. It's about the, yeah, it's like about uh, the financial collapse. Um, it's like from the Shakespeare's The Tempest and the beginning part of the line is uh, hell is empty, all the devils are here. And she details like, you know, all of the stuff that was going on with the financial collapse and the big companies that kind of perpetuated it and so on. Um, and the interesting thing when I was reading it was I was like, oh my God, like all these derivatives, which are just like, ways of creating you know which are fictions you think about it fictions. Because, uh, oh, people are saying oh like crypto is fiction this is the fiction of the fiction, fiction of the fiction yeah they got meta really quick because it's like yeah. i'm going to bundle a bunch of people's you know debt on paper into more right. people's debt on paper and then i'm going to bundle you know so like the same bundle you know same debt on paper could be in multiple different assets at once yes which is a mind meld because it's like, okay, so then there's, and then there's people who can take bets on right. if that's going to default or not. So there's this entire, you know, the thing I was thinking when I was reading this was I was just like, man, this is so creative is actually what I thought. Cause it's like, you're, it is you're, creative. you're getting all these layers of abstraction, but really it's creative. If all you're thinking about, which is a, a novel thought that I'm having right now talking to you is it's only creative. If all you're working on is that same spreadsheet and the same mechanism of how you've been working before, right? Mm -hmm. Where now it's like, well, okay, so you're not able to make those type of transactions anymore. You're not able to, there's no, there hasn't been any rules yet of mm -hmm. how you can create type of, you know, different types of uh, f more money into the system, like, right? Like how could you make that mm -hmm. happen, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe, it, you know, in the beginning part, it has to go back almost to like 1.0, which is mm -hmm. just, I have a bunch of coins. Let me, you know, I'll lend them to you so long as this is the rule of how it gets back. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, I don't even know how it'd be, maybe some type of trickle as opposed to lump mm -hmm. sums all the time or what it would be. Mm -hmm. But um, the whole foundation of all of these layers of extraction that we've created mm -hmm. needs to almost get, a, you know, a hard reset if it was to be in this kind of decentralized way. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing of, and I would love to hear your thought on this is, if it's going to go that way, or it's going to go more of the way of like another asset class, right? Because to your point, you know, Coinbase is, it's, it's pushing you more towards trading between different coins or holding on to something. And it's giving you this whole way of almost like an FX, right? Like a financial, um, you know, exchange, as opposed to almost like the Cash App, right? Like Cash App has it on there. They have stocks in there too, but it's, you know, more of like, I'm going to purchase something with Bitcoin. So, you know, how do you, how are you seeing the market evolve? Do you think that it's evolving towards a type of more transactional model, or is it still going to kind of like tumbling down this path of being another asset? Cause it's compared to Bitcoin is compared to gold more often. And just as a side note, it's amazing in 18 months 
Like mm-hmm. I, the pandemic, just like I have this, you know, thing that I stole from somebody else. That's the pandemic didn't change much. It just accelerated everything. And it totally mm-hmm. accelerated Bitcoin. Like mm-hmm. the, the talking of it from before to now, it's like, it's, it's brought up as gold a lot. So right. what do you, what do you, where do you see this kind of happening or is it both? Okay. So here are my thoughts. Going back to my story of where it all began. Bitcoin was not supposed to be gold, was not supposed to be, um, you know, a financial instrument, which is what it is mostly used for. It was supposed to be a payment currency, a digital currency, but a global digital currency in a decentralized system that I can transact with anyone, anywhere on the planet for any type of transaction that I ever want to do. Whether I want to buy a yacht or I want to buy coffee, I can still use my Bitcoin. And I can do that with someone who, who is in, uh, in Asia, in, in Shanghai, or someone who's in uh, Malaysia, or someone who's right you know, across the street. So, that was the idea of Bitcoin. Now, I say, and I have that in my piece, which I'm going to send you, is that greed got in the way. People got, you know, impatience. Okay, I have a few Bitcoins. How can I make money out of this? Oh, okay, so let's create an exchange and start, you know, trading it as a financial instrument. And this is what, it became messy completely because now I started trading as a financial instrument uh, in some crypto exchanges, uh, which are not really completely regulated, like you know, even regular exchanges. And the speculators got in the way. And when the speculator, because you know, if you have a you know, and the speculator got you know the upper hand, and all they want is to you know to make money, and the volatility of Bitcoin, you know, completely you know got it out. And people start forgetting that it's supposed to be a currency. It's supposed to be for us making transactions. It's not supposed to be a speculative financial instrument. And this is how it got volatile. And people said, oh, because it's so volatile. No, I can't make transactions with that. Well, I mean, why did you let the speculatism get in? But because now it's got accelerated with all of this, you know, Coinbase you just mentioned, you know, that, you know, just trading like, I don't know, financial instrument and you have all these speculators, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, transactions, uh, they are an activity which makes it more volatile. So it's like the more speculators you have, you know, it's kind of an, you know, exacerbate, you know, the volatility that it shouldn't have. And it kind of gets further away from its, you know, initial intent, which is the payment. Because you can't have rely on payment that is volatile. So people say, oh, you can't rely on Bitcoin because it's volatile. But it's volatile because you decided to, to make it something that shouldn't have been to begin with. And now, because of that, people started getting into stable coins. And then stable coins became now, and then the government, you know, even freaked out even more because oh stable coins we don't want the stable coins to be in the hand of all kinds of centralized companies because at least you know bitcoin is decentralized but, but you know if you have a cbdc i mean uh, sorry like uh uh some some uh stable coin that is issued by jp morgan 
or stablecoin issued by Circle, then or by Facebook, which is Meta, which they always also want to go with that. Oh, that's even worse. So we don't want that. So okay, now we're going to create our own digital. So hallelujah, we're back to central central bank again. So we wanted to run away from them, and we got to the same point. So I don't want it to come to the same point. I want us to rethink again, you know, where we started and why we did it in the first place. I don't want it to become financial instrument. I want to become, you know, the first DeFi concept, the first DeFi app, and then we can build other DeFi's on top of that. Other, you know, tokenized mechanism, you know, to allow this transaction between any one of us in the in the in, in the economy globally. I don't want it to be a financial instrument. By all means, no. That was not the intent. I mean, the fact that you know it became like that, it's it beats the point. Just people, you know, wanted to make money and they didn't have, you know, didn't understand, you know, what it means and what it's supposed to do. They didn't even read the white paper. They just had the Bitcoin in their hands and said, okay, what am I going to do with this Bitcoin? Oh, okay, maybe I can trade it. Maybe I can make some money. Instead of thinking, I mean, it, it kind of lost what it was supposed to be because we kind of like deviated from all the concepts because of all these speculations. So no, I don't want it to be a financial instrument. No, I don't want it to be, you know, compared to gold. I want it to come back to what it was supposed to do, a payment system, a payment mechanism, a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system that, you know, empowers people, that democratizes society, Democratize each and every one of us. It creates beautiful things and trust between us and allows us to really make a change for real. And not just talk about the change, but actually make the change. And that's what I would think that DeFi is capable of doing and will do if we do it right. Yeah, so the... The bankers came in and fucked everything up by just speculating on it, dumping assets into it. Because, so like I, my everyone has like a I wish I would have invested when Bitcoin, Bitcoin mm -hmm. story that's been launched right. long enough. Um, for me, like I was totally broke at the time, but I was like, oh man, should I just like pour a couple grand into Bitcoin? And it was mm -hmm. at like sixty seven dollars when I was thinking it. Right. The last time I checked, it was like sixty seven dollars, and it mm -hmm. was like literally around the time that all of a sudden all of these investment funds. And hedge, hedge funds first powered money into it and it jumped up to like $90 of Bitcoin. And at the time I was naive and I was like, ah, I won't do it. Well, now look at it. You know what I mean? Like it jumped up like one year, it jumped up like in the fall to like 19 grand. And then it went back right. down to like 14, like a few right. months later and then right. like nine. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID now it's like, you know, shot up to, I think last I checked, it was like back to 51. It's been like hovering right. at like 51 grand. Right. per coin for a few months now uh, mm -hmm. it's like gone up to like you know 60 something and back 64 or something and then back down mm -hmm. but regardless um these there's been enough money injected into the system that are just holding it or selling it the most interesting thing to me that i've caught wind of recently is how much it seems to be coupled and decoupled with the stock market in some ways right right like it seems like certain policy changes governmentally or like hints of it will all of a sudden more crypto money would enter and then mm -hmm. 
stock market's doing really well, all of a sudden money is leaving. Like just like last week, there was a big exodus of a lot of crypto because the stock market started doing well again because it seems like the Omicron thing is people are not getting worried about anymore after it crashed. So, you know, it is interesting. Um, though, it, you know, there's the thing with blockchain, and I've been saying this forever with blockchain since I've worked with it, um, which is it, it needs like the, the packageable moment of, un, you know what I mean? Like, the moment that people saw like HDTV in the stores, you know, they were all of a sudden like, oh my God, this is different. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the, it needs that type of understanding of like, what's the transaction? What's the the mechanism that's going to catch fire? Like, you know, streaming with, with Netflix and, you know, all of a sudden that caught on, like, what's the, what's the thing that's going exactly. mean, to get so, it to catch? So I think, you know, please go with me with my vision. Mm -hmm. It might sound, you know, crazy. But the way I see it, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I live with that. <laughs> so um, if you think about it, you know, as I said, you know, everything in the economy is transaction-based, right? Going back to the base. So the way that DeFi can really facilitate everything that we do with that seamlessly is Think about the way that, let's say, you have a home equipment, right? Uh, say Peloton, uh, let's say uh, gym equipment. You do your Peloton or whatever you use and you do your exercise. And let's say your Peloton is going to reward you with some tokens uh, after you, know, you do this extra mile or whatever. So we all like to be incentivized, right? Whatever we do. I mean, ask my students, can we get a bonus question? Can we, you know, they all have to be incentivized, right? So this is, you know, part of, you know, rationality or non-rationality, right? We like, you know, to be rewarded. So let's say we are rewarded, you know, for this, you know, uh, exercise and we're getting some tokens. And then seamlessly, you know, it's going to come to the point, you know, when now it's going to be a bit clunky, but you come to a point where you just, you know, push a button and it's all going to be going to program because, you know, the blockchain, you know, technology will know how to program that, you know, in the code, in the smart, in the smart contract already, that this, you know, tokens that you just received from your machine is going to be sent to, I don't know, pay your mortgage or to pay your student loan, or to pay your loan on the car, or to even maybe buy a Starbucks uh, and, and bring it to you when you finish you know, your, your, your walkout or something like that. But that's the way that I would see that seamlessly empowering. And, that's, and this is possible only because of DeFi. That will be possible because all this transaction needs to happen in the centralized financial system that will recognize the tokens from the machine uh, to be sent to whoever needs to receive the, those tokens, uh, whether for a payment for a loan or payment for, for a Starbucks. And, and the Internet of Things and other you know, technologies will all be you know, part of that integrated together, like you know, the multidisciplinary that we just mentioned. So all these technologies. So this is the empowerment of DeFi at the core. And this is how I like to envision our lives. Like we'll have a life when everything is like so seamless and we don't even understand that the token is a DeFi 
and talk and just, you know, this instant, you know, bought my coffee and it's delivered to me and someone is knocking on the door and already giving it to me. Or maybe a drone is giving it to me. I don't know. I mean, just think about where, where everything can go with that. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Because, uh, well, now we're, you're really talking about like smart contracts, which is what yeah. a lot of people in the in engineering side of it really geek for, which is essentially mm-hmm. like, like, code. Said, like, yeah, it's code, it's, it's coding um, events and transactions to occur right. given certain things or locking things certain ways, or really just like, I mean, anything is just like, if this or for exactly. every time of that. It, it, it's simply a code, a code that, you know, rule-based code. I call right. it like a rule-based code. If this happens, that happens. If this happens, that happens. Of course, you have to make sure it's no bugs, but it's a rule-based. Right. Yeah. So in you know uh, financial term, it could be um, if this is a luxury item, charge this much more. Uh, that goes back into the system on, as a tax because it's you know uh, a luxury item versus food. Don't charge mm-hmm. as much of a transaction mm-hmm. for tax as it would right. be. You can build that in there in a smart contract, right. and then right. you don't have to worry about it. The store doesn't have to worry about keeping those taxes. Right. It's just right. taken care of and it's done. Exactly. And the situation you're talking about is like. Um, you know, I want to be rewarded with, you know, getting cheese sticks. I can't get mm-hmm. cheese sticks until I've walked so many amount of steps this week. And if I go to try to buy cheese sticks, I, you know, swipe the credit card and it's just going to be declined because it knows mm-hmm. like, Hey, motherfucker, you get cheese sticks from this place. I'm not going to give you the cheese sticks because, you know, you haven't done your steps. So maybe it's going to even, even help us, you know, in our diets. No, you see, you know, your diets can also be transaction based. If you really want to keep your health and you want to keep, you know, you know, like, you know, chocolate good on your health, you know, that can help, you know, be rewarded like that. So it's all going to be like in in the code, you know, like the rule base, you know, it's going to track you because everything is tracked and everything is is rule based. And it can, you know, and and if you can't, you know, uh, I just say that control yourself or or monitor yourself, uh, then, you know, the code is going to do it for you. So it'll give you as if a slap in the face, you know, whenever you're not doing something right. Yeah, yeah, and embarrass you with the, the client credit card in front of other people, right? <laughs> Just shame you into not getting those cheese sticks. Uh, that's interesting. Because, uh, you know, uh, have you, are you familiar with like Chainlink at all? Like Chainlink mm-hmm. is, is like yes. a coin that yes. Yes. developers... Yes. It's the Oracle. Develop- yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Oracle? Really? Yeah, it's an Oracle. Chainlink is an Oracle. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I've read the, I should have known that I've read the word. It's a decentralized Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well the, a lot of developers get like really geeked for it because it can transact between multiple different right. coins. And that's like the whole point of it. That's why it's even called like chain link. It's linking yeah. everything yeah. together. Um, but you know, you can, like, I, I think a lot about decentralized like websites, cause that's like a mm-hmm. big thing now with like web 3.0. Right. Um, and just decentralizing information in such a way that it could be like housed in different places at once. And then you can, you know, kind of go like Mastodon is like a open Mm -hmm. source, um, social network that you can Mm -hmm. build. It's like a lot of, I like Linux a lot lot of people, Linux Mm -hmm. is really into it. And it's the same way where, you know, it's, it's decentralized. So it's in multiple places at once. Um, so things like Amazon's AWS outage, which happened recently, Uh, pretty much. Yeah horrible did you were you affected do you have like a ring you not i mean ready? my school was affected oh really yeah i mean suddenly you know i couldn't get into some you know there's we use canvas 
Mm. You know, it's like I know uh, canvas. Yeah, it's like yeah. a tech thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't get in. Wow. And then you know, I was you know writing to them. I said, Oh yeah, we we have our service on on on, uh, on AWS. And you couldn't tell me. Right. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about Amazon and the current like cloud federated structure that we have right. is how much of our actual internet is in a small number, right? Right. Like, like the, the web used to be like centralized in a decentralized way. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and that what I mean by that is that so many people have this thing of like web 1.0, 2.0, because uh, I do a lot in like the enterprise space, right? So right. um you know, everyone came with their websites, right? right. Like pets.com was like the big one, you know, right. like everyone built a website, they're like tracking right. commerce. And then all of a sudden it was like, everyone's building a website and it got rid of the yellow pages. Yeah. And then, and then people like, were like, oh wait, I could build, you know, take all the files that we use and instead put it behind a firewall and have all the files on here. So everyone just copied their business processes and these like clunky apps. Right. And then everyone started, you know, mobile phones come and then everyone's able to transact mm-hmm. across multiple places at once. So they're like, right well, we want to now get behind that firewall and, you know, but it was still this server, like all these companies had these servers in their offices. Like I paid for college being a server and like a security guy at a company. Right. So like, you know, like there was a server room in the middle and, you know, that's like where all of the files for the whole company and all of the financials and everything was pretty much because of what was there. Mm-hmm. Well, now that's moved to Amazon or Azure um, or any of these other companies, oh, mostly yeah. just those two. Google Drive. Um, yeah, Google, well, Google Drive for consumers, you know, in businesses though, which is, it's mostly just Amazon and Azure, right? Like Google mm-hmm. is kind of, Google Cloud's kind of there, um, mm-hmm. but it's mostly these ones. So we went from this structure that was somewhat federated between all these different companies that were managing it themselves. And now they offloaded to a centralized structure, right? Like Amazon is like, you know, you have like Iowa, you know, Los Angeles and Virginia is pretty much mm-hmm. most right. of where the servers that serve everything is, right? Right. Um, so in a way, just for these efficiencies, we've but that's ex- a pyramid. Exactly what blockchain was trying to create. I mean, what we're saying right. that there's no one point of failure like you had with Amazon. If let's say one node fails, the other nodes are still, you know, operating. So, okay, one copy is not working, but the others are working. And this is why that can never happen if you have a decentralized type of computing power or storage. So, so when people are saying to me, oh, but once you know we have some outage like AWS, well, it's not the AWS, because AWS is one server, it's very it's, it's one point of failure. This one, we have millions of you know nodes all over the world. So maybe if one, you know. I don't know, part of the world is, you know, people are always talking about the ecliptic, you know, uh, scenario that, you know, entire plant is going to explode. Okay, if that happens, you know, we're all going to die. Who cares, right? But if it's not that and only one part and, and the rest of the world is still working, then okay, that blockchain will still survive. And if think about the AWS, you know, scenario, just, you know, even Again, I mean, everyone who's against decentralization is supposed to think long and hard after this AWS incident to support decentralization just because of that. Because that's what decentralization is all about. There's no one point of failure. 
if that falls, okay, the others are gonna still continue and we can still survive and, and you know do our work and that's like you know error, error. Yeah. That's, that's the message I got yesterday. Just error. Yeah. Don't even tell you anything more than that. Yeah. No. I mean, in this type of like a mixed enterprise way, like you, I, I could easily see like a rule system being built on top of it, in which it says, you know. Um, people are coming to my site and using it, but then in the downtime, allocate the resources to this list of other things that I'm supporting, right? And because not everything is used all the time, and then maybe even we can have it be this type of, if we really want to start dreaming, where it's like a flip system where like, you know, it's night for me, it's day for someone else. So like I could be running a bunch of nodes that are for Taiwan when my users aren't here, right? right. Because they're on another time of the day. And, you know, maybe the it's, I mean, you're really talking about speeds of an electron at that point then, right? right. So like, you, you know, your web page might load slower, right? Because it's, you know, the economy of scale at that point of an electron going from across the sea and back again and forward and back and forward and back. But it's more sure in a sense of it being always on, right? right. And you can even have relay points of like, okay, well, you know, maybe this middle part gets updated every once in a while. And then once a user needs the latest update, I'm only pinging for what has changed right. as opposed to pinging for the whole thing back and forth. Like right. Right. Um, what's interesting too, is that Netflix, I don't know if they're still doing this, but they were dropping boxes near people's homes, mm-hmm. like nearer, like populated areas that had the Netflix catalog for that area in there just so that it wasn't putting so much strain on like a central location because video right. files are so large. Right. right. Um, so, you know, you see this with like that, but you know, across the board, if the web was in a different type of completely different architecture, um, mm-hmm. this really could power it. So like, while it's a simple means of storing information and value of what it started with, it's could be that it might be that, or maybe just like the speculators keep pouring money into it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe altcoins just go crazy, um, right. but it's still the technology itself can be having a completely different means of this entire digital landscape and having it to right. your point being more true, more tang- tangible, and then also actually more secure and stable for everybody, right. so long as everyone right. keeps pulling into it. And exactly. exactly. So, I mean, I think the message is lost. Yeah. That's a problem. That, you know, people just need to be educated more about what blockchain is and all the misconception that it's not. And understand that it's not gold. It's not a financial instrument. It shouldn't be even volatile. And we have to get to the core of what it's all about. It's about technology. Technology can do so many beautiful things to society and to our global economy and to us as people. And that's what we have to come back to. So the message has been lost and I would like to revive it if, if, if I may, in some way. <laughs> <laughs> well, every little bit counts, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What happens is inevitable one way or another, I suppose, but you know, the little right. waves along the way can sometimes uh, create a tidal wave. Um, I do want to ask one quick question before you go. And yeah. that's, uh, do you think it could stable out more to be more of a financial mechanism when there's no more coins, when it's not minting anymore? Or do you think the likelihood is going to be, this is total hypothesization at this point, but, uh, or do you think it's going to be something like an, an altcoin? Cause 
I can't remember. I really wish I remember his name right now, but there was an economist. I don't watch Jordan Peterson's podcast at all, but I saw a gif of him uh, getting his mind blown, like in real time of like the energy transfer of how, you know, if somebody has a place that energy is cheaper, they could be mining Bitcoin and then uh -huh. essentially storing that value of the energy right. computation in Bitcoin yeah. to then continue transacting. I mean, out. also the, the energy issue is also got a little bit out of proportion. It's not as oh, totally. bad as people, people think. I mean, that's another education to, to do yeah. on top well, of everything else. Yes, no, definitely. Because there's other, all it really is actually what it's doing is incentivizing cheaper ways to make energy, right? Exactly. Um, or more novel solutions. Like I saw something like, uh, submerging it in liquid that doesn't affect the, you know, the silicon and all the type of things. There's, there's totally different ways you could do that. But um, he said the economist that whose name I'll put in the show notes, cause I'm, I'm I can't recall it at all. Um, okay. Essentially that, you know, you have Bitcoin, which is a currency and then the other altcoins are acting more as companies, which I thought was a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. of putting. I don't like to call them companies because they're not, I mean, let's go back to what Ethereum is. So the way I like to explain Ethereum is basically take your phone. Your phone has applications, right? So if you have an iPhone, you have, I mean, all these applications run, you know, like an iOS. And if you have, a, you know, something that is not an iPhone, then it's an Android, right? And that's like the platform that, you know, these centralized companies, in the case of iOS, that Apple created this centralized, you know, platform. And Android, you know, Google created that, you know, centralized platform. It's a platform when developers come and build these apps. And, and now you have, you know, these applications that are built on that. And the, your phone, you know, is, you know, having all these applications. So what Ethereum did and all these other ones like, like Ethereum, whether it's Algorand, Solana, or... Um, Avalanche or no, Polkadot and all of those, what, what are they doing? They basically took that concept and said, instead of a centralized application, we're going to be create a decentralized application because we're going to create a platform that is decentralized, not controlled by Apple, not controlled by Google, not controlled by any company. So it is decentralized. And, I, and any, any developer can come and build whatever they want. They don't have to go through Apple's, you know, verification, certification or whatever. And as long as they are following the rules and the consensus mechanism of the blockchain, of whatever blockchain, whether it's Ethereum, Algorno, et cetera, they can build whatever they want to build. And it can be launched. And you can track it. You can see the code. You can see, I mean, something that you, I cannot see the code of the app that I have on my phone. Can I? No. But you can see the code of the apps that you have on your, on your, uh, on your, um, on whatever, whether it's Ethereum or on whatever, right? So you can see the code, you can see whether you want to interact with that or not. So you have much more control, so to speak, much more empowerment on what application you can use. And it gives much more empowerment to developers that they can, any developers who have some good idea can do that without, you know, paying too much money to all the central apps because they kept getting a cut. And, uh, and also empowerment to the people who wants to use this application because they, anyone can use it. I mean, even if I don't have an iPhone, I can still use it if I you know, can tap into you know, Ethereum or whatever and do this application. So comparing it to companies is so wrong because companies are centralized. I would call it applications, decentralized applications. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah. That it's... there are decentralized applications are not companies because companies in the association funds or it's centralized. It's controlled by a company. I don't like this association. It's okay. Maybe it's more like a distro then. It's like a Linux distribution, right? Because the thing that the part where he was getting closer and an iterable towards the altcoin concept is like Satoshi is is a ghost, right? There's mm-hmm. nobody that's coming out and driving a force right. other than the, what emerges from the community right. as far as like protocol right. changes. Right. Like Ethereum was like, okay, we're going to alter the chain. And yeah, but still, I mean, Vitalik is not controlling it. Even no, though they, Vitalik was the brain behind it at the beginning, it's it's when, you know, he's not in control of anything. That's what no, people no. are missing. His influence, though, that, that was the point I was going to get to. Is that yes, his he has, sure, he has influence, but I, and I understand that. And this is why I know I, I'm, I'm very much uh, in favor of Algorand, for example, because of that. Because I think that Algorand, if we give it some time, it, it has the ability, you know, to, you know, be the, the you know, maybe the, the competitor to Ethereum, because, you know, everyone knows Ethereum, but, you know, I think that Algorand is, is a better use case, a better blockchain in many, many, many ways. Um, the brand behind it is basically, I think, is a, a, a professor, a scientist, you know, computer science in, in, from MIT, so brand behind that so it's not like you know someone who you know some kid uh, or but no but the point is you know even though he's the brain behind it I mean he's just you know he's sitting back you know it's not really you know uh, influencing anything so it's, it's very much you know community based and foundation yeah. based so yes. that's that's the, the why I, I another reason why I like and it's proof of stake and proof of work. But the way, what I'm trying to say is that don't talk in terms of companies, don't talk in terms of centralization, talk in terms of decentralization, because they are decentralized. All of these apps are going to be decentralized. And Bitcoin is also decentralized. So we have to think about decentralization, going away from decentralization and thinking how we can make it work. So we can think about another layer on top of that, like the DAO, which will allow us to govern it in a way that we, it is a community-based type of governing. Um, so, so there's all kinds of ways to think about it that can make it happen. But we need enough education, enough people, you know, more and more people coming into the space, smart people, people who cares about this ecosystem, who cares about society, really cares about building the right solution. And, and, and this is how we, this, we're going to get to all the things that I'm now crazily imagining that they will become a reality. Yeah, that's true. More, more people get into it and more can understand the concept and then develop with it, build with it, interact with it. Um, I think really once people start, I think NFTs got a lot more people into it. And there's probably two or three other more of these. Um, I also think it's a bit of a generational thing. I think like yep. people who are younger, who are like, you know, raised with devices, you know, uh-huh. constantly um, from the cradle to the grave are going to understand that a lot easier. And then it's probably going to just be kind of spinning from here and there. Um, I would love to see like a true popular decentralized social media. I'm surprised. Well, there is kind of one with RSS in a way, 
Yes, um, yes. But, uh, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a report. I don't know. I forgot whether it was Deloitte or some other one of these consulting uh, you know, companies uh, who did basically a survey between uh, you know, investors, you know, who invest you know, in art and, and anything, uh, collectors, investors and collectors uh, under 35 and those who like, you know, 15 and above. And it was stunning. I mean, I was not surprised to see that, but the ones, you know, probably know what the, the results were. Those who are 35 and I mean and below are very much into yes, you know, we believe that you know all this technology and blockchain technologies, you know, 80%, 86% and up, you know, we're thinking that this is gonna really uh, going to change all of the, the way that investments are happening, the way that you're going to invest, you want to do art and it's gonna invest, you know, change anything in their life. And the 50 something, you know, the, the percentage was much less than that maybe in, in the 40s, 40 something percent. So, but if you think about it, this generation is our future and not even them, is their kids are our future. The ones that, you know, will not even remember how the dollar bill looks like. So this, are the, this is the generation we have to think about. And if they believe that this is coming and this is how the future is gonna look, this is what we have to focus on. Yeah. And either way, it, to your point, back to bring it full circle, like it would make regulating easier. It would make, you know, bad actors harder. Right. Because I think um, I think this is another bit. It's a true piece of human nature, which is if there's layers of abstraction, our morality goes with it. Right. right. Like being able to discount, you know, what I would do that could be, you know, increasing. It could even be increasing degrees of magnitude of the problem I'm causing. But because I'm further and further and further away from it, um, mm -hmm. I mean, this is really the banality of e evil, right? Like that's really the true right. concept of it, right? And in this mechanism, it's saying, well, we're actually gonna we're gonna understand that that's part of human nature, mm -hmm. is that you know when things start getting to be either momentous or um, you know layers of what you're doing every day, like the abstraction increases, mm -hmm. we're going to build gates in there right away that make right. Us Right, the well, they built in the code. It's like, you right. know, when you say, you know, that they're gonna, if you didn't, you know, uh, I don't know did enough miles, you know, not gonna give you your, your cheese stick and it's like gonna you know, embarrass you, you know, when you are going to store, it will be in the code, right? So right. same idea, you know, if I cannot, you know, uh, control myself or, or want, you know, and we know that people, you know, have some, you know, bad, in you know, in our nature. So we going to already create these gates in the code that's going to slap us in the face, so to speak, you know, if we do something bad and not allow us to do that. Something that we cannot really control in the, in the traditional real world that we have now, but the code can do that for us, you know, perfectly. Right. And you're doing it in a way that's consensus driven, right? right. So if our ideas of what is a slap in the face change, we can agree to change it together going forward. Exactly. Right? And the interesting thing in this is that you can't change what happened going backwards, which right. you know also could serve as you know whatever going forwards. So it's it's really interesting because I mean like I feel like and this is so hyperbolic, but it's true. Um, you know, like time really is everything, right? Right. It's just time and what am I interpreting, right? And that's really the basis of all of it from 
and right. electron flickering to molecules coming together. Like it's all really what it is. It's how are we right. observing it in time, right? Nothing ever is suspended. And right. what's interesting about this is it's saying, okay, well, that is what we do. What parts of that can we memorialize and agree to memorialize and then continue going forward? Um, which I really think like so much of our just daily banal business tasks can be completely just automated to a degree that is probably better and free things up going forward for, right. you know what I mean? Like for less risk of things like the financial collapse happening with a bunch of bad loans. Cause even if they were, I mean, one of the great things that Bethany McLean talks about in that book is how hard it was for people to see it that weren't seeing it, but people who really understood it were afraid, but continue going on with it. Right. Um, because of how hard it was to kind of see and understand where all right. this money was moving around because it was moving around right. so fast. Um, where in the situation, like an open source, it's not, it's not even possible. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to happen because you have so many eyes watching it. So, I mean, right. that's what I'm saying. It would be even better for us, better for regulators or for everyone to create that decentralized you know, finance or whatever else, you know, that you want to create. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope it happens and that you're helping do it. You already are with all these interviews you're giving. Thank you for your time on this now and giving another one today after a long day. Um, anything else you want to mention? We covered a lot of ground. Um, sometime I would look, if we have time again in the coming year, talk about some of the decentralized, you know, comparisons and things like that. I'd love to get into that more into this kind of like quant side of I, things. I would uh, love but, to come back. When, if you want to have me, um, yeah. I, I would love to do that, definitely. And yeah, I mean, the only thing that I would like people to, to, to leave people with the, with the idea that let's go back to where it's all started. It came, it, it started with a very beautiful novel idea. So let's go back to that, to that core idea of really empowering us as society. We have deviated from that. And if you remember that, then we'll understand the power of technology and the power of culture. That's great. And we can end where we began on this. So that's a great way of coming full circle. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm going to pause the recording.